Dr. R.C. Sproul wrote a children's book titled The Priest with Dirty Clothes. The Priest with Dirty Clothes, a story based on Zechariah 3, 1 through 5. Two kids, Darby and Campbell McFarlane, get their clothes dirty playing in the mud, and their mother is unhappy about their clothes, and their grandpa tells them a story about a priest. Jonathan, a young man, becomes a priest and receives special priestly clothes at his ordination. The day after his ordination, Jonathan was to deliver his first sermon to the royal household in the king's castle. On his way, it rains, and Jonathan falls off of his horse into the mud and soils his new priestly clothes. And he tries to get them clean, but he can't. And so he reluctantly enters the castle into the presence of the king in his dirty priestly vestments. Malice, the wicked court magician who hates priests, ridicules Jonathan, and then the people join in. And the king questions his dirty clothes, and then Jonathan explains. The king kindly offers him another opportunity to preach, but on another day, and only with clean clothes. Well, Jonathan can't get his clothes clean. And so the fooler says, and he takes his, his clothes to the fooler and the fooler can't get his clothes clean. And the fooler says, they are ruined forever. The only thing you can do is get new clothes. Well, Jonathan appeals to the bishop for new priestly vestments, but the bishop can't issue new clothes. And Jonathan, his only hope is the prince. And he goes to the prince, and the prince makes Jonathan a promise, and he gives him instructions. Return to the king in your dirty clothes. So trusting the prince, Jonathan returns to the castle into the presence of the king, wearing his dirty clothes again, and malice is there, and malice scorns him again. And the king questions Jonathan about his dirty clothes, and Jonathan is embarrassed. And then a stranger enters the room dressed in a scratchy brown robe and he bears a gift behold it's the prince and the prince gifts jonathan his own beautiful princely clothes and jonathan takes off his dirty clothes gives them to the prince and dresses in the prince beautiful clean clothes and delivers his first and his best sermon and the king accepts Jonathan because Jonathan belongs to his son, and the prince, and is dressed in his son's beautiful princely clothes. Well, this is a simple and compelling story about the imputation of our sin to Christ and the imputation of Christ's perfect righteousness to us. The story illustrates Jesus cleansing us of sin and dressing us in his beautiful robes of righteousness. The point is, Jesus makes the unclean clean. And, and that's my point for this morning. Jesus makes the unclean clean. A little bit of historical background first. Leprosy today is known as Hansen's disease. It causes significant damage to the skin and peripheral nervous system. Leprosy is often quite ghastly because it disfigures the body. And historically, lepers have been considered outcasts, untouchables. Dr. Eugene Roland Kellersberger 
was a medical missionary who worked with lepers in the 20th century. He did much research and he fought to reduce stigmas associated with leprosy. Dr. Kellersberger wrote, there is one fact that makes leprosy different from all other diseases, and that is the social stigma connected with it. Everywhere, the social stigma of leprosy is the same, end of quote. In ancient times, leprosy included Hansen's disease, but was not limited to it. In, in ancient times, leprosy included a wider range of skin diseases. Scholar Leon Morris noted, and pay particular attention to his choice of words. Since no one knew how it could be cured, and since its effects were so horrible, the only treatment was quarantine. Lepers were not allowed to live in towns or villages, but had to remain outside centers of habitation. They were required to keep their distance from people. And if they happened to approach anyone, they were required to call out unclean. Leprosy was not only a terrible disease, but it was defiling. Anyone who had it was ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, cut off from the religious and social life of the community, end of quote. Quarantine, isolation, loneliness, social distancing, stigma, cut off from religious and social life. We've gotten a little taste of these painful realities in recent months, but lepers lived with them, often for the rest of their lives. Lepers were truly outcasts, outsiders, untouchables. Leviticus 13 and 14 explain how the old covenant community of faith handled lepers, and it was strict. Leviticus uh, 13, 45 and 46 say this, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Let that sink in. Keep in mind, lepers were often not healed. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. How would that feel to be blacklisted for the rest of your life? Con considered unclean and made to live alone, ostracized from religious and social life for the rest of your life. Numbers 5 describes Israel putting lepers outside the camp because they defiled the camp in which the Holy Lord dwelt. See, God is holy, pure, and clean. God's holiness will not be defiled. Uncleanness is banished from the presence of God. The law communicates God's holiness as it uncovers human sinfulness. Outside the camp pictures God's intolerance of defilement and impurity and uncleanness. Simply touching a leper made someone ceremonially unclean. Leviticus 15, 7 says, And whoever touches the body of the one with the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. In 2 Chronicles 26, King Uzziah, the king of Judah, 
acted very proudly, very brashly, very foolishly by worshiping God in the wrong way, a way that God said not to worship him. And though not a priest, Uzziah entered the temple to burn incense to the Lord. That was not allowed. Therefore, the Lord struck Uzziah with leprosy. And verse 21 recounts, and King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death and being a leper lived in a separate house for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household governing the people of the land. So in this case, in the case of Uzziah, leprosy was God's judgment upon him, which included social isolation and being banned from the house of the Lord. To be banned from the house of the Lord was a crushing blow. We've gotten a taste of the pain of wanting to be with the people of God in the presence of God and not being able to. A leper lived that pain all the time. Maybe, maybe we can identify with lepers a little bit more after what we've been through and are going through. Maybe God has humbled us to hear these words and to see the glory of Jesus more clearly. I have six points to draw from the text and then I'll tie it all together. Number one, the magnetism of Jesus. Verse one says, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Now, first, it's likely that verse one goes best with the two preceding verses from chapter seven. Good scholars believe that verses two through four actually happened before the Sermon on the Mount. See, Matthew wrote thematically, not chronologically. Back in chapter five, verse one, Jesus saw the crowds and he went up on the mountain. And here in chapter eight, verse one, Jesus descended the mountain and great crowds followed him. Bookends of this one event. In chapter 7, verse 28, Matthew wrote the phrase, and when Jesus finished these sayings. Now, the same or similar phrase shows up four more times in Matthew, marking the end of each of five major discourses of Jesus in Matthew. And we've covered the first, the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 1 wraps that up. Second, verses 1 and 2 show us the magnetism of Jesus. Great crowds followed Jesus. A leper comes and kneels before Jesus. Why was Jesus so magnetic? Well, Matthew has been explaining it. Back in chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing people. It, it was an exciting and an astonishing time. And Matthew said Jesus' fame spread throughout all Syria. So his teaching and his authority attracted people. But I think for most, supernatural power was magnetic. He gave supernatural health care and welfare. They, they saw his supernatural capabilities and his provisions and knew where that could lead for them, where that could take their nation what that could mean for an uprising of Israel and a downfall of Rome, most misunderstood his mission. Jesus was bringing the kingdom to them, a spiritual kingdom. In fact, salvation and eternal life in himself. He was not the solution for their Rome problem. He was the solution for their sin problem. Miraculous healings were never his main objective. 
yet many were drawn to him because of signs of wonders, naturally, because of what he could do for them in this life. But Jesus came to make the spiritually unclean clean. Number two, the compassion of Jesus, of King Jesus. How deep the compassion of Jesus. I, I love how the Belgic Confession comforts God's people. You really should read it. It says this, For neither in heaven nor among the creatures on earth is there anyone who loves us more than Jesus Christ does. Verse 2, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. When when Matthew writes, behold, he's drawing our attention to the wonder of this event. With his loneliness, pain, humiliation, and ceremonial uncleanness, the leper came to Jesus for compassion. He prostrated himself before Jesus. Now, maybe he was simply showing respect. That's possible. Um, but the Greek word there for knelt can refer to worship. So maybe the leper came in faith and fell before Jesus in worship, in hope and expectation of receiving from Jesus grace. This thought is strengthened in the fact that he addressed Jesus as Lord. Now, Lord was a general term of respect for someone in authority. But Lord was also the designation of Jesus Christ as God's divine son, as Jesus the Lord. And so how was the leper addressing Jesus? Well, again, I think the leper had true faith. As if praying the Lord's prayer, the leper uttered his petition, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He knew that his healing depended upon Jesus willing it. The, the leper's request reveals his confidence in Jesus' power. His, his confidence appears to be true faith. Now, why do you think Matthew used the word cleansed instead of healed? Jesus did heal the leper as he did many others as Matthew 4:23 and chapter 8:16 tell us. But here Matthew said cleansed. Well, consider what one scholar said. While the health concerns associated with these diseases were real, the biggest issue for those afflicted was their ceremonial and social outsider status. Thus, lepers that are cured by Jesus are said to be cleansed rather than healed. Now, leprosy was horrible physically. But imagine the psychological, emotional, and spiritual impact of being ceremonially and socially unclean and completely cut off from re religious life and social life. The leper wanted more than healing. He wanted cleanness, which included restoration to religious life and worship. The leper asked to be made clean. Saints, the compassion of Jesus goes beyond the physical into the spiritual Jesus's compassion extends to body and soul. Jesus has compassion upon the whole person, body and soul, and promises to complete his healing and cleansing of his people at his glorious return. As Messiah, the promised 
Messiah Jesus cleanses his people by his power according to his sovereign will. Dr. Doriani said it well. So when Jesus healed the body of maimed, leprous, or blind Israelites, he did two things. He granted them physical health, and he publicly restored them to the family of God. This renewed sense of belonging to the people of God was a great blessing that attended many miracles. These restorations are essential to Jesus' ministry to the whole person. Jesus healed the body, the spirit, and the social life of the sick. This was part of his larger plan to welcome outcasts and outsiders of every kind into the family of God, end of quote. The compassion of Jesus extends to body and soul. He cares for all of you, dear saints. Though he may not heal you of a certain ailment or disease in this life, he does promise you, dear believers, to heal you fully and finally at his return when he brings his glorious kingdom in full. You will be, body and soul, completely healed, completely cleansed, and completely restored. Verse 3, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now listen to how Mark recorded it. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Now the Greek word there translated pity is actually anger in many good manuscripts. That gets us scratching our heads. Jesus was moved to compassionate anger, to an aversion to the leper's pain and suffering linked to the schemes and plots of Satan to distract people from the glory and worship of God. Could Jesus have been angered that leprosy prevented this man from the benefits of corporate worship and the people of God? Jesus didn't just heal this guy. His compassion restored this man the benefits of life with the covenant people of God. Jesus reached out his hand, his physical hand, and he touched the leper. I imagine the leper felt the warmth of his tender touch upon his marred skin and body, a sensation that he longed for. People don't touch lepers. Because if they did, they became ceremonially unclean. They were not to touch lepers. Compassion flowed from Jesus through his touch to that unclean leper. Jesus could have just said the word and healed him like he did other times with other people. But in this case, he touched and cleansed with divine compassion, with unmatched sympathy, kindness. And care. Jesus touches with compassion and makes the unclean clean. Number three, the desire of King Jesus. With his hand on the leper, Jesus said, I will be clean. Jesus willed the leper clean. How often the leper would have willed himself clean if he could have. 
how the leper must have wanted some physician or priest to will him clean. But at the sovereign decree and imperative of Jesus, the leper was made clean. His life was transformed. Jesus wanted him to be clean, but more than that, actually willed him clean. Notice that the leprosy responded immediately to the will of Jesus. Joel Beek, in his book, Reform Systematic Theology, writes this. God's mere will is powerful and effective, as we see in creation by divine fiat. William Ames said that faith says to God, Lord, if you will, you can. And the Lord replies, I will, therefore it is done. End of quote. True healing, brothers and sisters, is entirely based upon sovereign and divine will or fiat or decree. And we would be wise to consider that when addressing every single problem in our society. Too often we think in terms of human will as the solution to man's problems. We have no power to will anything for ourselves. We operate under the sovereign decree and will of God. True and comprehensive healing has nothing to do with human will and everything to do with divine will acting in compassion and grace upon human will. Do, Do we know scripture enough to know that our Lord is willing us clean? Take comfort in that, people of God. It is the desire, the will, the decree of our Lord to conform us, his people, to his glorious image. Our king is willing us from unclean to clean. He has made us clean. He is making us clean. And he will make us fully and finally clean by the sheer power of his grace and spirit. Number four. The omnipotence. Of, G- of King Jesus, the omnipotence of King Jesus. With his hand upon the poor leper, Jesus simply said, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. The unclean was made clean. That's omnipotence. Biological aberrations bow to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. This one miracle comforts us that our Lord and Savior and King will fully and finally overcome every biological abnormality, deviation, anomaly to bring full and final redemption and restoration. Now, humanity has done an amazing job with research, development, amazing drugs, which help overcome many, many sicknesses. Now, that being said, sickness cannot be universally stopped in this life. New sicknesses surface all the time. Some believers seem to think that with enough time, with enough human ingenuity, with enough research, with enough scientific advancement, we can figure it all out. We can overcome it all. We can reach utopia on earth and we can bring it about by ourselves. This is a pipe dream because sin has infected absolutely everything. And until sin itself is eradicated from the earth, horrendous physical diseases, not even to mention horrendous moral corruption, will continue to devastate this life. This is why we long for the fullness of Christ's kingdom to come. 
when Jesus said, I will be clean, and the leprosy immediately was cleansed, it does not mean Jesus is going to heal every believer in this life as the prosperity gospel falsely asserts. What it does mean is that Jesus is omnipotent and will one day eradicate all sin and all sickness and fully and finally cleanse his people for eternal life in his kingdom. By cleansing the leper, Jesus gave a taste of the kingdom that day. He pulled back the veil a bit to reveal his own glory and the glory of his kingdom. This gives us confidence that Jesus will fully and finally heal us body and soul because he proved his ability. He proved his authority. He proved his power and he guaranteed his promise of final salvation by his mighty works. Now, what happens when naturalists reject the signs and wonders of Jesus? Outright deny them. Never happened. It's all fairy tale. What, what happens? Well, quite frankly, they not only arrogantly trust their own opinions above the countless rational eyewitnesses who were there watching it happen. They also dismiss their only hope for healing and eternal life to trade the signs and wonders of Jesus for observable, uh, observable science alone is to attack the gospel and the only hope of salvation. You see, Jesus needs to be able to heal leprosy with omnipotence if he is to heal us body and soul. And not only does atheism and agnosticism irrationally discredit the historical method when it comes to Jesus and his miracles, they discredit eyewitness testimony as if they know better than those who were actually there and who actually saw it. They do it ultimately. Why? To absolve themselves of their own guilt. If Jesus heals lepers, everyone is accountable to God. If Jesus never could, if Jesus never did heal lepers, if, if miracles are just a fairy tale, everyone does whatever they want. Rejecting miracles is not intellectual or evidential. It's moral. That's why people reject Christ and his miracles. The omnipotence of Jesus is part of the gospel and therefore gives us comfort and hope. As someone said long ago, my faith can sleep sound on no other pillow than Christ's omnipotence. Number five, the lawfulness of King Jesus. I was scared that I would say the lawlessness of Jesus, of King Jesus, and that is heresy. So I'm glad I just put a little hyphen and underline the fullness, lawfulness of King Jesus. The law forbade the touching of lepers, which protected God's people and promoted health and well-being in Jewish society. But what if instead of becoming unclean, the one touching made the unclean clean? By touching the leper, Jesus honored the spirit of the law over the letter of the law. In touching the leper, Jesus fulfilled the law of love. By touching the leper, Jesus didn't become unclean. He made the leper clean. But then Jesus uh, gave specific instructions to the leper, which aligned with the Mosaic law in this Jewish context. Jesus said in verse four, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, Leviticus 14 describes the ceremonies needed to pronounce a leper clean 
which included sacrifices. These, these ceremonial laws pointed forward to Jesus who makes unclean lepers clean. In fact, makes all of God's unclean people clean so they can be brought into the presence of God. As the healed leper went to the priests, they would confirm his cleanness. The priests would have to face the reality that this leper was healed by the authority, will, and power of Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law, revealed what the law points to, him. Jesus said that the leper should offer the sacrificial gift that Moses commanded, and it would be proof, and that's a strong word, proof or testimony or witness to the priests of the healing authority, will, and power of Jesus, the promised Messiah and King who had brought the kingdom into their midst. He was giving evidence. And remember what Jesus said in, in chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. The law never made the unclean clean, but Jesus does. The law has no power to heal body and soul, but did provide prohibitions to protect and promote life, as well as presented procedures to declare one ceremonially clean who had been healed. And Jesus came and he made the unclean clean by his own will and power. He brought them into the presence of God. D.A. Carson said, in conforming to the law, the cured leper becomes the occasion for the law to confirm Jesus's authority as the healer who needs but to will the deed for it to be done. Thus, the supreme function of the gift Moses commanded is not as a guilt offering, but as a witness to men concerning Jesus. That gift was witnessing to Jesus. The priests taking the cured leper through all those ceremonies would be evidence to them of the will and power of Jesus, the Messiah who had come. Now, in Mark's account, the leper foolishly disregarded Jesus's command and he starts talking about his healing. So news spread and Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. Now, various reasons have been suggested as to why Jesus told him to keep quiet. But I think at least part of it was that Jesus did not want to draw attention to himself as that great wonder worker. That great miracle guy. And then have people foolishly thrust him forward as their earthly king. In John 6, 15, Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force by making him king. And what did he do? He withdrew. Jesus avoided attempts to make him king because he had come for the cross to save his people from their sins. I like how Carson put it. He came to die, not to trounce the Romans. The people who disobeyed Jesus's injunctions to silence only made his mission more difficult. End of quote. Signs and wonders were a necessary part of his ministry, but not the focal point. He, he didn't come to fill stadiums and carry on evangelistic crusades. He came to die alone on a cross. It was Jesus's message. Hey, everybody, man, rally around me. I'm here to crush the Romans and raise national Israel to its rightful position of power once again. No, no, no. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, preaching the gospel, preaching repentance and faith unto salvation. Come to me, come to me, come to me, and I will heal you body and soul from the ravaging consequences of sin, guilt, and misery. Trust me, come to me, for by my grace, for by my merits alone, 
I will bring you into my kingdom and you will flourish forever. Number six, the kingdom of King Jesus. This compassionate healing and cleansing pulled back the veil and displayed a little more of what the king is like, what the kingdom is like. He taught them the kingdom and he showed them a glance of his kingdom. He even gave them a taste of it. This one miracle attests to what Jesus does for you and me, body and soul. He makes the unclean to then enter the presence of God. Matthew wrote to his readers that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Matthew gives doctrine and he gives historic and very evidence for the supreme power of Jesus as the Messiah. All of what Jesus wrote is meant to, uh, I'm sorry, what Matthew evidence in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. Lastly, Jesus is making you clean. Now, you and I don't have that we have leprosy of the soul. Have your thoughts ever been unclean? What about your motives? Have your motives will always followed God's law, always done his desire for you? Have your actions all above reproach? Now, ceremonial uncleanness is obsolete because the ceremonial law has been abrogated. Jesus fulfilled it. But uncleanness of the soul still exists, which isolates people from God. Now, our bodies are corrupted by sin and therefore susceptible to disease. We get sick. You know this. It doesn't feel great. We're weak, and, and Jesus cares about our bodies. He'll, he'll resurrect them. I mean, that's a great promise. But what about our souls? Our souls are hideously disfigured by sin. Sin mars our souls. If let us alone, if he never reached out and touched us with his grace, we would be entirely isolated from him forever, cut off from his holy and glorious presence because of our holistic corruption. The, the presence of sin more precisely, the goodness and the blessings of God. And yet Jesus reached out his compassionate hand, brothers and sisters, and he touched us. He said, us, I will be clean. And we were made clean. We were reconciled to God and we were brought into the presence of God forever. Brothers and sisters, we were spiritual outcasts. We were spiritual castaways, spiritual untouchables. Healed us and made us the spiritually unclean clean. We soiled our clothes so bad, not get them clean. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we scrub, it's not getting clean. And Jesus for and clean clothes of righteousness. Jesus took our sin upon Himself in His sufferings, became sullied and soiled and stained before God, cross in order to give. His righteousness. Why? So that we could be clean before God. Considered clean before a, a righteous and holy and clean and pure God. The grotesque problem. They don't see it. They don't see that they're morally disfigured. They're maimed. And, and they're wounded lepers before God. 
need cleansing brought into the presence of the king. In their ignorance, they refuse to come and to bow before the Lord. They live in isolation from Christ within their empty and their delusional fairy tale, pretending to be well. Reality and horrific moral disfigurement. To be truly and actually cleansed, we must recognize gravity under the law. We must recognize that we are spiritual lepers, quite poor in spirit. We must continue along to Jesus, prostrate ourselves before him daily, pleading the prayer of those who are cleansed. That sounds like a To the poor in spirit who plead to be made clean, Jesus replies, I please and close Because of the works and merits of Christ, God has declared us clean in justification and is making us clean in sanctification. Now, if you're anything like me, I look at my life and I see so much uncleanness. I commit, I will never. I've tried. It doesn't work. I have come, I, I can't clean my own clothes, and, and I've come to realize I can't. It's just not working. My hope, self, not because of my own efforts, not because of my own hard work, not because makes the unclean clean. And because he made the leper clean on that, because that's his fact, he can make even me, Jonathan the unclean, clean. Now, whatever you're struggling with, Whatever besetting sins can gospel remind you that Jesus makes the unclean clean. And that as you are united to Christ, faith alone, that he is making you clean right now. He's working to make you clean. Remember, dear saint, in your dirty clothes anymore. You're wearing the prince's beautiful and clean clothes.